From Tokyo, Japan, I'm Franklin, and you're listening to the Rock Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the way it affects our daily lives. And the way they affect our daily lives. Joining us today on the show is Dr. Jonas Huber and Thomas Eckberg to talk about advanced x ray technologies. So stay tuned for all this here on the Rock Science Show. technology has evolved considerably over the years. Since the awarding of the first physics Nobel Prize in recognition of the discovery and use of x-rays, they have been used for medical imaging as well as understanding the structure of crystals. Dr. Thomas Eckberg and Dr. Janos Haidu uh, from Uppsala University in Sweden together with uh, colleagues at the Stanford Linear Light Source have made another milestone. Uh, X-rays are now capable of imaging structures within microorganisms. They'll be telling us a little bit about their work. The Slack National Access Laboratory with its LCLS free, free electron laser is to image living cells at very high resolution for the first time. Now, imaging a living cell or anything at high resolution requires interaction with the sample, either with photons, electrons, neutrons, or other imaging probes. But after a while, this changes the sample to the point when, after a long exposure, which you need details, you need enough information from the sample, it deposits so much that the sample is not what it started to be. Basically, high-resolution imaging kills. It kills whatever is in front of it. It could be a single molecule, a virus, a living cell, doesn't survive very high-resolution imaging. Oh, okay, so in on your website, there's a video that shows standard X-ray imaging and then with your advanced imaging exactly. technique. And so you, you basically get the scattering before the, the your sample is destroyed. Is that right? So this is diffraction before destruction. This principle, that was invented in about 2000 and formed the basis in justifying building this LCLS-3 electron lasers for biological applications when LCLS was conceived. Now, the machine is up and running, and we can exploit it, because it produces this ultra-short and extremely intense X-ray powder, which can outrun damage, can propagate through a cell and capture the little factor before the cell notices that it has gotten so much energy deposited into it that it would have to turn into a little sun and explode in a Coulomb explosion or a hydrodynamic explosion. <laughs> Some orders of magnitude later uh, in time than this femtosecond X-ray pulse goes through. You said a couple of orders of magnitude between the time of the pulse and the destruction of your sample. But in that meantime, can you get a video of interactions going inside these cells? The interaction is so short. The exposure is so short. It's femtoseconds, and the femtosecond is a millionth of a billionth 
of a second. That is such a short time that is about the time that an atomic vibration takes. So the sample is seen frozen in time at room temperature both. So the pulse is propagating through the sample and interacts with it. It changes the sample, but not when it is passing through. Uh, the pulse is always seeing undamaged sample. It goes through, leaves the sample, carries the information of the undamaged sample with it, forms the image on the detector, and after that, some picoseconds later, which is thousand times longer time scale. So I think to get an idea of, of really how short these pulses are, I mean, if, if you compare them to, to sort of everyday time scales, if you compare the length of pulse to, to a minute, for example, that ratio is the same as if you compare a minute to the entire age of the universe. This is really, as far as the cell is concerned, it's instantaneous. No chance of having another view of that cell. That is gone. Then the next one. Uh, it permits us today uh, with the repetition rate of the X-ray pulses that come out from the LCLS free electron laser to take about 6 to 8 million exposures during one day. In uh, 2017, when the European equivalent of this machine will be built, the European XL, that will produce 2.7 billion shots per day. Uh, the way we put the cells into the X-ray beam is through an aerosol. And this algae, they live in oceans and uh, the, the cyanobacteria that we're using, the blue-green algae, found all over the waters on the surface of the Earth create an aerosol from them and inject into the X-ray beam. And they come in a stream, a beam of cells, and we shoot them randomly as they come and hit them as they are in various orientations and various shapes. And we can collect a large number of in the images that way. So this was the first demonstration that this principle worked. These cells, how big are they? Are they a tenth of a micron or on a nanometer range? They are about a micron in size. And the images you uh, you, you produce, uh, do they give you a molecular resolution or just, uh, say, the organelles within these cells? Yes. So, so in the current study, which uh, we reach the molecular resolution, I mean, it's still compared to other techniques that can image living cells. I mean, we can essentially only compare it to optical microscopy because all other methods, they, they kill the sample, as Janos described. Um, and, and and so so we are doing better, but we hope uh, to in the near future be able to redo these experiments with, with some some tweaks to be able to increase the resolution maybe by by maybe by a factor of ten. And so the problem with the current data is that that we have we have essentially we have a problem with overexposure and and it's much like if you're taking a photograph out on a sunny day. Uh, and you might have some areas which are completely white and you lose all the detail because you essentially had too much light in your camera. Some parts of our detector, they got too much intensity, and which meant that, that those refraction patterns, those, that data could not be used. And so we had to use the weaker ones, uh, essentially, because it's the only ones you can analyze. What we want to do is we want to put in a filter uh, selectively to attenuate the parts that perfectly get over and this would allow us uh, to analyze data that that uh, contains much higher resolution and, and we could really start to see detail in these cells. In the long run, the hope is that maybe we can go down to about 10 
function resolution that is smaller than the size of the protein molecule in single projection image. But we have only one shot. There is no chance of taking a second shot of the same size. One could, of course, imagine perhaps to do some stereo shooting, so shoot the cell from two directions simultaneously, just like we see objects stereo with our eyes, to give some depth information on what's in the cell. At the moment, this is just a single projection shot. Yeah, this research is uh, certainly a milestone, uh, and there seems to be a lot of implications in terms of what it could elucidate in terms of a lot of the fundamental processes that happen in cells, uh, viruses, um, and something as fundamental as photosynthesis. Uh, could you tell us a little bit of uh, the most exciting aspect of this research? Well, perhaps, uh, perhaps the fact that this is the first time understand this you're massing uh, a lot a large amount of data how, how much um, information are you collecting on each blast uh, I mean so, so from each blast I mean our our, our detector contains a thousand by thousand a million a million pixels and we are um, I mean currently so essentially we are collecting data up to a resolution of for, for these very intense images that are now washed out but what could be a lot with a filter I mean We've seen scattering all the way up to four nanometers resolution. So, so at least we know that we could go as far uh, with the proper setup with a filter, for example. And if you also need a somewhat bigger detector, more pixels to get really high resolution data there. So that requires a lot of data altogether. And the detection image today corresponds to four megabytes. Yeah, four megabytes of data. On a day, you may have 8 million times 4 megabytes, and then you get down to the 2 billion shots a day. 
spirals out. And we are, at the moment, the data amount safe to this today, without being in the extreme, is the same amount as the CERN ATLAS experiment saves to disk during the same time. So suddenly, we are in a game that cell biology was not before. So I think it's very interesting that the sort of mix between uh, sort of big data applications and high resolution living cells. Like that, that is something that has truly never been seen before. In terms of the um, you know computation or the information that you need to process, uh, I, I presume there's many data scientists who are involved in this project. Uh, I think I think uh, so actually involvement with this data, I think there are a couple of people, maybe two, three, but there are many people that have been involved in, for example, developing the algorithms that that, that we use for analyzing the data. And uh, there are a large number of people that were involved in, in running the experiments, preparing the samples, and not to mention all the people here at LCLS that are involved in just making the facility run. Touching upon the, the, the science of photosynthesis, what, what do you hope to find about this process through, by looking at, the, uh, at these types of bacteria? I mean, clearly one possibility is to hit these cells in the slide or some earlier with some normal light to trigger photosynthesis and then wait for some time before it arrives, the sample arrives, the cells arrive into the X-ray beam to be shot. And comparing structures that have been illuminated to structures that have not been illuminated may shed light on certain aspects of photosynthesis. I'm speculating about it. The time scales have to be matched and uh, cells could be incubated outside already before aerosolization. So there are a number of processes one can study, and uh, laser probing, uh, laser excitation of the chromophores in the cell sees the X-ray exposure. And who knows, one may be able to see changes. Uh, and then you mentioned that uh, the Europeans are also developing their own X-ray source, a, more, a different configuration of X-rays that will be uh, implemented. LCLS is the first hard X-ray laser of the world, so this is the pioneer machine. The European machine is different, and it will be more powerful than LCLS is today. The meeting that we are attending here at SLAC today is a meeting about the future of LCLS. And LCLS is catching up in 2020 or 22 with development of the European XFPR. So at the moment, LCLS is the lead. In 2017, that will go over to XL, and in 2020, 22, it will come back, I think, here. Uh, you know, I understand that Slack is involved in many uh, X-ray-related projects. Is this utilizing the, uh, the the beams that are already available at Slack, or are you modifying them in in novel ways? So I think essentially we are we are doing what the LCLS was was intended for, and uh, uh, yeah, the, the beam and the, and the focusing optics, and, and it, it's all there for, for our use. I think the big effort from, from our case, apart from, from preparing the sample and, and actually and injecting the sample into the chamber, is also in the data analysis aspect, where both to understand well how the detector works, uh, but also more importantly to, um, uh, to Essentially, what we're doing is that we're letting a computer act as a lens. Lenses don't work very well for x-rays, so we're putting a detector in place of where the lens would have been, 
and we're sort of we're using that data to to calculate what sort of backwards to calculate backwards what the object that affected the X-rays might must have looked like. So that is somewhere else. But but uh, as part of the hardware setup, I think our main addition there is the is the aerosol injection system that allows us to place healthy cells inside the beam of the uh, X-ray laser. Just curious, what was the inspiration behind this work, or is this something completely original? Well, the inspiration is to understand light. But as we take cells apart to bits and pieces and study them in detail, like isolate molecules, crystallize them, create X-ray structures, or do anything else, somehow life disappears between our fingers. And putting these components back together doesn't create life. You know, if I somehow blow up the lab, I could mix all components that are needed for life, but life will not come out of it from this accident. But the chance is here is to watch it as it is. And that's the inspiration, that's the goal, that's the aim. One last clarification. I, I understand um, you know, there's a lot of interest in the cyanobacteria as you know, essential component of making uh, life possible on a planet uh, as a major contributor of oxygen. What other organisms or, or say, viruses or bacteria are, are of interest in this field? First of all, we, we could study essentially any, any bacteria or any cell that are of, of similar size, but not too much bigger than a micron in size. But there are also, of course, many viruses that are, are within range. And, and I mean, we already have collected data of, of particles of 100 nanometer size, for example. And it's, it's worth pointing out there that, that even though the, the samples that, that we are then working on are are, are harmless to humans. That there are several, several viruses that are of very large interest within this vice regime. Like, for example, the influenza virus or HIV. But, but uh, essentially, I mean, the, the doors are open to study anything that we get our hands on within this within this size range is accessible to this method. And the size at the moment is limited by the size of the beam that comes out from the X-ray laser, and that's fairly small. It's a huge number of X-ray photons. So if you take all the sunshine, all of it, that hits the Earth and focus it down to a millimeter square, you get the same intensity on that spot as we get in a micrometer square of this beam in the duration of that 10 to second pulse. So it's huge. And nothing survives it. But the pulse goes through of the sample before it can I really appreciate um, you taking the time to talk with me today. Uh, are there any last words you'd like to add about um, your research or uh, your scientific interests? Well, the scientific interest is varied. Uh, I look <laughs> into science as I also got a license to drive a nuclear reactor, but <laughs> never did it. It was just something that interested me at the time. And then eventually I ventured uh, into X-ray crystallography from there. The idea came that there must be a way of getting rid of the crystal from diffraction experiments. I haven't been in the field as long as Janusz, but I think it, this is a very interesting time point to be here because I think we're we're just just about getting these kind of first biologically relevant results out of facilities like LCLS. So I think it's it's a very interesting time right now to uh, and and 
and, and especially I look forward to the next couple of publications where we have the entire resolution, larger data volume. There's, there's a lot of interesting stuff to do. And I just have to add that Thomas used to be a particle astrophysicist here at Stanford, and I hijacked him to... We were just talking to uh, Dr. Thomas Eckberg and Dr. Janos Haidu uh, from Uppsala University, uh, and they're working with the team at the Stanford uh, Rynek Coherent Light Source on this exciting research. Their recent work was published in Nature on February 11th. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you. Thank you. And that's all for this week's edition of the Rock Science Show. Make sure you tune in again next week for more on real science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. In the meantime, you can check us on the web at www.grox.net, on Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us at science at grox.net. For Grox Science, I'm Frank Ling. Stay tuned here for more music. Mm -hmm.